0: Open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Anyone who says they can't memorize Scripture, you should try to memorize this verse. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and verse 16. Let's read this out loud together. Rejoice evermore. How many of you have it? Ready? Let's try that again. Rejoice evermore. All right, now, how many of you understand that verse? Would you raise your hand? Okay, this is why I need to preach the sermon. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, help us so much. Help us. We need you desperately. To help us understand what it means to rejoice evermore. And Lord, at a time when we are celebrating the most amazing thing that ever happened, you becoming a man, we can be so full of anxiety and, and turmoil that we can sometimes miss the wonder That is your presence. So, Father, help us today as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you something. I'm going to preach this morning, rejoice evermore, how to live with joy. Dalton Robertson, he wrote uh, an introduction based on this text that I want you to see. He said, for the most part, I think life for the believer ought to be one big end zone dance. Man, I wish I could do the uh, um, oh Cam Newton dance. But I don't have a neck, so my, my head won't go over like that. But you, Dalt says this, For the most part, I think life for the believer ought to be one big end zone dance, when instead it's a lot like sitting in the waiting office in the waiting room at the dentist's office. Is that true? It is so true. For the Christian, we have won. Did you know that? Amen. We have won. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, that you're, you're more than a conqueror. You have overcome Satan through the blood of the lamb. And we ought to be living a life of victory. And yet sometimes it seems like it's more like that we are sitting in the dentist's office waiting for, you know, a root canal with no Novocaine or whatever. That, and, and we can look at life that way. And we're not supposed to look at life that way. Now, let's, let's make sure that you get this. Man, I am not here to pummel you today. If you are going through some hardship right now, the last thing you need someone to say is smile a little more. But the Bible tells us that we can rejoice. Dalton went on. He said this. If you factor in the material ease and temporal pleasures easily accessible in Western civilization, add to that our eternal hope as believers, we should celebrate like soldiers returning home every day of our lives. Instead, we drag through every day like forgotten dogs, scavenging in the neighborhood of our lives for something to eat. It's interesting, isn't it? He said, maybe that's too drastic. Maybe instead of living in abject misery, we are simply struggling to be happy. We have moments of fleeting happiness, occasional days of genuine joy. But we have to work awfully hard to make it so. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I know that there are people here who that that is the way that you would describe your existence. And I would say this, let me be very clear. There are people that struggle with genuine depression. That's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. There is hope for that. There is hope. Now, that's not what my message is on today. I will say this. If you have genuine physical depression, go to a doctor. There's hope for you. There's help. There's help. We have wonderful Christian counselors who can help you. Sometimes it might be that you need some medication. Amen? I take Prilosec. I'm I'm Jim, and I have acid reflux. Now, the doctor gave me an easy cure don't drink coffee. And I said, Are you crazy? So there, there is a solution. Mine happens to be medication. <laughs> Here's the deal. If, if you have a physical issue, take the medicine. Amen? That, it, it, now, but I'll tell you this. We happen to live in an over-medicated society. It's just true. And that's where we need biblical guidance for that so let's let's set aside the genuine physical and emotional issues for this message because that that is a separate message how many of you recognize that's a separate discussion right for the rest of us have you ever found yourself just you just recognize i'm miserable today have you ever been there if you're not sure ask your husband ask your wife And they'll tell you that there are days where you're just miserable. You wake up and you think, I should not be feeling this way today. I shouldn't be. That's what I want to talk about. Listen to this. Joy for us, unfortunately, is not natural or normal. It's not, and that's why the Bible deals with it. I'm not talking to those with dire hardships and significant loss when I say this. I'm not referring to those of you who have great loss that you're striving to deal with. I'm talking to the majority of Christians who are doing okay, but you have not joy. So let's make some observations. First of all, the believers at Thessalonica were suffering. The believers at Thessalonica were suffering. Go with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, I want you to think about this. These are the people that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling to rejoice. All right, And and what happens is when you hear this command to rejoice, sometimes you can think, you don't know what's going on in my life. How can you tell me to rejoice? Well, let's look at what the people in Thessalonica were going through. Look at verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Does not to many people, that verse doesn't make any sense at all. Affliction and joy in the same sentence. Look at what it says. You received uh, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Very interesting. These people were receiving the word of God, and while they received the word of God, they were being afflicted. But the word of God gave them joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the people that Paul is talking to. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So in Thessalonica, they weren't getting persecuted, they weren't being persecuted by the Jewish rulers as those in Judea were, but it's the same suffering. Suffering is suffering. Regardless of who is imposing the persecution, those being persecuted are suffering. And I'll tell you what, folks, I hope that you do this. We really need to pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. People are struggling. I mentioned uh, last week Pastor Maher there in Baghdad, and they have, they have people with automatic weapons walking around their building to keep them from being killed every time they have church. And I will say this. Let me make a little political comment. It works. Amen? Uh, people calling for gun control after the shootings, and that would work as well as the bomb control did. You know, they had bombs. How many of you recognize it's against the law to bring a bomb into a public building? Right? I think it is. Uh, is, it, is that against the law, Dave? It is against the law. Okay. <laughs> so some of you need to leave right now. So there's there's the political comment. We need some common sense with this. But we need to recognize that there are people suffering. They're being persecuted around the world as they're coming together to worship the Lord today. We didn't have that. Now, you might have family members who criticize you for coming to a Bible-preaching church. And I'm not saying that that's easy. I can't imagine having a family that was against my service for the Lord. I've never experienced that. My father was a preacher. My brothers and sisters all love God. And I, I can't imagine being in a family that is opposed to the Word of God. My wife's family, they all love the Lord. They're all serving God. She grew up in a Christian home. We haven't experienced what some of you go through. I don't want to diminish that, but it's not the same as worrying that your head is going to be cut off. Amen? Amen. And so we need to recognize that there are people like these in Thessalonica, verse 14 again of chapter 2, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered the like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now look at what it says in verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins, alway for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So this is describing what it's like for the Paul is describing what it was like for the Jewish believers, but he's comparing to that to what's going on to these folks in Thessalonica. Look at chapter three. Look at verse three. But that that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Oh, man. How would you like to have a Christian life when you know that there's going to be suffering? That'd be a different Christian life than ours, wouldn't it? These are the people that the Apostle Paul was writing to. Look at verse 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. Look at chapter 4. And look at verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Why do they need to be comforted? Because they are in affliction. They are in trouble. And what are they in trouble for? They are in trouble for the name of Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, whatever suffering you're going through, it might not be for persecution, but if you're suffering, suffering is suffering. You know, If you have cancer or you're being persecuted, both hurt. Isn't that right? And so those are things that we need to think about. These are the people that the Apostle Paul is writing to. Those at Thessalonica were suffering. The next thing that I want you to see is this. To rejoice evermore, that's our verse in chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore, it's a command. It's a command. So notice, the book doesn't say, if everything is going great in your life right now, be happy. That's not what it says. It says rejoice evermore. So just some, some basic observations. The people at Thessalonica were suffering, and they are still commanded to rejoice. And look at that word, evermore. Then, while our circumstances may vary, our commitment to rejoice must not. Our circumstances may vary, but our commitment to rejoice must not. We have to be committed to rejoicing in the Lord. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask you this. How many of you, that would be very difficult for you to do right now, is rejoice. And yet it's still the command of God. Now, let me tell you this. I am so thankful that I don't have any trouble in my life right now. So I can stand up here and I can rejoice. You know, my persecution is my printer didn't work right this morning. You know, we're trying to sell a piece of exercise equipment because we obviously don't need it. And we're trying, to put it on, we're trying to put it on Craigslist, and I couldn't get the pictures into the Craigslist thing. And I was not happy. That's the kind of persecution that I go through. Technology. Nathan says I'm technologically cursed. And I think that may be true. So I have no trouble in my life. We're all healthy. We're all happy no trouble and yet i have to remember to rejoice because it's not my nature i have the gift of criticism so my nature how many do we have any perfectionists here if you're if you would admit it that you're a perfectionist raise your hand any perfectionists it's very difficult for a perfectionist to rejoice because i'll give you an example i laid hardwood floors in our house when we moved there and so we have the main room and then we added another room on and I I wanted to run the wood the same way. So I put a little threshold in and I ran the wood. But you know, for the new room I had to use that Pythagorum. is that how you say it? Triangle? You know y'all, how many of you know what I'm talking about? All right? And you do that, you measure out, you know, three feet and four feet, and that'll I think, and then it'll it'll tell you whether or not you're square. Well, I was off by about a quarter of an inch, something like that. And so I made my adjustment, laid the floor, then I looked at it. I adjusted the wrong direction. So every day for the last 11 years, when I walk by that room, I see this. It's supposed to be this, but it's this. It's very difficult for me to rejoice when I look at that floor. That's the idea of the perfectionist. We see the imperfections in the world around us, and it bothers us. And yet... We're supposed to rejoice. Now, here's the blessing. I think the Apostle Paul was a perfectionist. I I really do. How How many of you would agree with that? And yet, God had him write, rejoice evermore, and we'll see his testimony of that later. And so it's very important that regardless of the nature that God has given you, the command is to rejoice. And how many of you would admit, unless there's a serious health problem or a serious family problem, we've got it pretty good. Right, So we can't say that the society that we live in would cause us to lack the ability to rejoice. I will say this, Philippians 4.4 4 says the same thing. We're supposed to rejoice always. Rejoice always. Here it says rejoice evermore. Then, um, do you think Paul's testimony with the Philippian believers was supported by his own life? I think it was. Let's take a look at that. Go to Philippians 4, verse 10. Oh, and if you don't have a Bible, look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible available for you there. If it belongs to the person in front of you, that's okay. Look at Philippians, because they should be using it right now. Philippians 4, and look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, "...that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity." So they wanted to, but they didn't have the opportunity to do it. And look at what he said. "...not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry." both to abound and to suffer need i can do all things through christ which strengtheneth me notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction so the apostle paul knew very well what it was like to suffer and we're not going to take time to go there but when you look at what happened to the apostle paul you know shipwrecked and and stoned and beaten with rods and he had a hard life and yet he could still rejoice. That's who is being spoken of. Now, go to um, Acts chapter 16. I asked you a minute ago if Paul's testimony to the Philippians, the passage that we just read, if he had lived it. Look at verse 22. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, it's Paul and Silas, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the parishioners heard them. Now, let me ask you this. Is this a song they were singing? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Is that, does it sound like that's what they were singing? You know, I think about Jacob Habiger. I, I had the chance to go to Traxelwald Castle in Switzerland. And Jacob Habiger in 1593, was led to the Lord by his neighbor, Kurt Luthie, as they were repairing a fence. And he started studying the Word of God, and he became a lay preacher. So he didn't have a, a, a church. He would just preach to uh, people in the surrounding communities. And that was, you know, Lutheranism was the religion there under Zwingli and later. And so he was put in Traxelwald prison. The first thing that happened was his, his, he had two daughters sold into slavery by the Lutherans there, by the Protestants, because it was against the law to be a Baptist. So he had two daughters sold into slavery. And then his wife was put in prison and tortured. But just before that, his house was burned down. His wife was put in prison and tortured for seven months and then died. He kept on preaching. And he was imprisoned at Traxelwald Castle. And I've been there. The the stocks are still there. The the prison cell is still there. You can see it. And it's way out. It's just the most beautiful scene where this this castle is. And he was imprisoned in this room. And it was said that all the people in the surrounding areas could hear him sing and quote scripture. Jacob Habeker living out his Christian faith after seven years being in the stocks, and he was kept in this room in stocks, chained for seven years. And they let him out of that, but kept him in the prison for the rest of his life. And he was able to get pen and paper, and he wrote tracts on the faithfulness of God that were used for a hundred years in that region of Switzerland to lead people to Christ. What was he doing? Rejoicing evermore. He was following the pattern of the Apostle Paul here. After being beaten and put in prison and in stocks, they're praising the Lord. And so that Philippian jailer got saved, and then they went to his house, and all the people in his house got saved and baptized. And through that work, a church has begun, and those people, when the Apostle Paul said, Rejoice evermore, they knew his testimony. So let me ask you a question. When your family, when the people around you see see you go through trouble, is that a testimony for your faith or is it an indictment against your faith? And I have to say for me, there are many times where my life has not matched what I profess when I am in trouble. And that's not the way it should be. Amen. Do you all agree with that? That's not the way it should be. And that's why there is a command to rejoice in the Apostle Paul's life matched that. C.S. Lewis he had some theological issues, but he was an amazing writer. Um, oh, let me, let me just say this first. Some need to determine to rejoice. Others need to let themselves rejoice. For some, it's hard. Man, if you're in genuine trouble, it's hard. And for you, you need to determine to rejoice. Amen? Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul and Silas, they determined to rejoice. To rejoice, and that's what Paul was demanding of those in Thessalonica. For others, it's just a matter of attitude. I just need a better attitude. Um, My uh, sister-in-law texted me about, you know, what does Laura want for Christmas? And so I sent her a list of just little gifts that she had mentioned that she wants. And then I said, and see if you can find her a better attitude. And Melissa texted back, asked for the attitude. You'd better pray for a Christmas miracle. awesome i am so glad let me say this i am so glad that she lives with a better attitude than i do because if we both had a bad attitude in the house at the same time that's a miserable place to be you all agree with that amen how about in your house how many of you have ever experienced a time where mom and dad have a bad attitude at the same time have you ever been there that's not fun that is not fun So here's what we need to do. If you are genuinely going through trouble, if you're genuinely going through trouble, you have to be determined to rejoice. Some of us just need a better attitude. And what is that attitude? It's an attitude of thankfulness, and we're going to see how that we can accomplish that. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. The strongest argument against Christianity is Christians, when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. You know one of the hardest things to get your head around is that for many people, you are Christianity. It's amazing, this nut job that went and shot up the uh, Planned Parenthood facility out in Colorado. That is Christianity to many people in America now. Based on what he did, that's what they think Christians are. That's not us, is it? Now, do we think what is happening in Planned Parenthood is evil? Yes, the conversation should be, yes, he killed two people, they killed many more. Amen? Many, many more. But under our laws, we can't go in and kill those people. It's wrong. You know the best way to stop somebody from having an abortion? Lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them to understand what Christ has for them, the future that Christ has for them. That's the way that we handle that in society. And so that man... Now, let me say this. The guy wasn't a Christian. He didn't have anything to do with Christianity, but that's being imposed on us. But for many people, the people that you work with, those in your extended family that aren't saved, you are Christianity to them. We are Christianity to the community. And so we must live out the joy of the Lord... What when if you are miserable, why would somebody want what you have? Amen. You know, you, you talk to somebody and they've got a bad cold and you know they're miserable. And how you doing? Oh, I got this cold. It's just it's terrible. Where can I get that? That's the way that we can represent Christianity. Because I got to tell you, man, when you look at the world, people are crazy the 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 New York Post I guess it was advertisement or the front page criticizing people for asking people to pray after the shooting in in San Bernardino. Can you imagine that? It's it, how many of you think that's crazy to criticize people for asking for prayer? So the response to that from a Christian how many of you think this is the right response? Shut up. I hate you. I hate these people. They need Jesus like me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not the right response. But I got to tell you, that's my natural response. And so I have to determine to communicate the right attitude. And it can't be fake. It's got to be real. And that's where that has to come. From the Lord. There's a famous saying that joy is the flag that flies above the castle of the believer's heart. It shows the king is in residence. If you go to England right now or Scotland and you go to one of the the queen's castles, if, if she's there, then her flag is flying over the castle. If she's not, then you can go in it. And so for the Christian, I love this statement. Joy is the flag that flies over the the castle of the Christian's heart. It shows that the king is in residence. So let me ask you a question. How many of you today, you know for sure that you're saved? You know Jesus Christ is your savior. Is the flag flying? Are you joyful? I wonder if the speaker is on in the nursery. Ed Berman's down there. I imagine Rania's with him. And I I said, oh, so you're in prison today, huh? He said, I said, yes. And then I told him the Bible says pray for those that are in prison. So pray for the nursery workers right now. But this is the idea. If the Lord, if the king is in residence, then joy should be the flag that we're flying. Rejoice evermore. And what better time to show that joy than at Christmas? That's the people that we're supposed to be. So now, how are we going to do this? Let me give you some help for your joy. Here's some help for your joy. First of all, Prayer, prayer. Look at verse, uh, back back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. How are we going to do that? Well, look at the next verse. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. If you will stay in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be able to rejoice. Amen? Because is He worthy? Is Jesus Christ worthy of our joy in Him? He is. He is. And so that is the idea, prayer. Pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? What it means very clearly is just a constant awareness of the presence of God. I think about this, you know, the Lord's allowed me to travel a lot, and I'll, I'll go somewhere and I'll preach, and, and I'm always excited to go. But after a day or two, I just miss my family, you know? I, I just miss being home. And it's interesting. I'll go on a trip, and I'll have Laura in the car with me, and we might not even be talking to each other. Not that we're mad or anything. I mean, we're just in the car, and we just don't happen to be talking at that moment. But just the fact that she's there is better. You know, you all know what I'm I'm talking about? And you all that are married, you feel the same way. And that when you've lost a spouse, that's one of the hardest things because you know that they're with the Lord, but they're just not there and that loneliness that comes from it. It's just that awareness of her presence that brings me joy. There's a contentedness that comes from her presence. That's the way our relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to be. There's supposed to be a comfort and a joy that comes from the acknowledging of His presence. And that is prayer. So prayer isn't always asking something from God. It is just a constant communication with Him. And be honest. Sometimes we think we have to pray King James prayers. O Lord, thou us know that I needeth When what you really ought to be praying is, God, help me. This guy's killing me. I want to strangle him right now. And some of you think, that can't be prayer. He knows. Take it to him. He can help you with these things. Pray without ceasing. People lie when they pray. As if God doesn't know what's really in their hearts. Be honest with God. Take it to him and pray. Pray that the Lord will give you a heart of joy and a heart of rejoicing, and He will. It's a matter of changing your focus from yourself to Him. And i got to tell you, one of the greatest cures for misery is looking outward. Because i got to tell you, for most of us, we got a pretty good life. That is one of the benefits. Laura and I talk about this a lot. One of the benefits of being in the ministry is we see how good we have it. Because... When you're, when you're dealing with people that have genuine misery in their lives and suffering, man, I guess, I don't, God's so good, I don't have that right now. God would be good if I did have it, but right now I don't have it. And boy, what a different perspective that gives me. If we would stop looking at our own problems and look at those of the people around us, our attitude would change. Our joy would change. Prayer. Pray without seeking, uh, ceasing. Um, Let me say this. The Bible says pray and not faint. I think it's Luke 18. Pray and not faint. I've done some praying and I've done some fainting, but I've never done both at the same time. Amen? You see, if I am in in communication with God, the Lord of the universe, my attitude changes. It changes. Um, so, prayer. And then gratitude. Gratitude. It's a, We say this all the time. Thankfulness is the answer to everything. Look at verse 18. In some things give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What does it say? In everything give thanks. And I've heard people say, so I'm supposed to thank God for the car accident? I remember one time, years ago, Andy was headed somewhere. He wrecked his car, and uh, he called me to come down and help him. And so I went down, picked him up, and the thought that I had was this. I wonder what else God had protected him from. You can be thankful for the accident. You can be thankful for the sickness. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our son Riley had passed away. And at at his funeral, uh, Brother Sexton preached this message. Riley was a missionary. And he talked about the things that that Riley had taught us. And here's the blessing. I worked at Circuit City selling appliances and I started selling stereos. And so the... Oh, I, that was me. And so there's all these people that knew that I was a preacher, that I was in, in college training to be a preacher. Well, the whole store came to my son's funeral. And out of that horrible loss for Laura and me. The gospel was spread. What did God do? He took something bad and He made something good out of it. That's what God does. And these opportunities... situations of tremendous loss and pain, God can take those and turn them into opportunities to give someone an eternity with Christ, which is far better than life here on earth. Because the Bible says, what is life? It's but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I love the passage that says, our light affliction, which is but for a little while. There really is an eternity. Gratitude helps us. Um, I I like what it says here. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Why? That's all situations because you don't know what God knows. You just don't know what God knows. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at Ephesians 5. Keep your place in 1 Thessalonians. Look at Ephesians 5. (laughs) Hmm. That repetition right there sounded like Donald Trump. He repeats the same thing. This is going to be fabulous. It's going to be great. Well, what about your foreign policy? It's going to be the most fabulous, great thing you've ever seen. It's going to be great. It's fabulous. It's going to be good. You're going to like it. That's his his policy statement. Ephesians 5, look at verse 20. Was that a serious ADD moment right there? Lewis says, Ephesians five, verse twenty, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice what it says here. It's a little different. It says giving thanks always for all things. And they'll go back to First Thessalonians chapter five, in verse eighteen, in everything, for everything. And in everything, whatever happens, wherever you are, have a thankful attitude toward God. Gratitude. It changes everything. Then, next, yieldedness. So prayer, gratitude, and yieldedness. Look at so we're back in First Thessalonians chapter five. Look at verse nineteen. Quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. Instead of putting out the fires that God kindles. Flame them up. Stir, the Bible says, stir up the gift that is within you. When God is doing a work in your life, don't put it down. If God calls one of your children to preach, so God calls your son and says, man, I want you to preach the word of God. And your son comes home to you and you say, well, no, wait a minute. I have a different plan for you. What are you doing right there? You're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're quenching that. Imagine for a Christian, a child having to go against their parents to follow God. For a Christian to do that, that would be quenching. How many of you agree that would be quenching the Holy Spirit? You agree with that? Now, those of you that are saying amen, remember that could be your child. But I promise you this, your child is indestructible in the will of God until God's finished with them. The safest place for your child to be is in the will of God. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful place that is. All of us in everything give thanks. Realize that we have a God that sees eternity and we can't. So our plan may not be the best. We have to trust him. How many of you God has ever changed the course of your life through a circumstance? Amen? And I can tell you this. He's done that with us, and every time it's been for the better. There's a great theologian, hymn writer. He wrote this song. um, uh, It went something like this. I thank God for unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks, yeah, he's a great theologian and hymn writer. But it is true. It really... (laughs) We don't have very many country music fans here, and I'm thankful for that. It is true that I have asked God for things that He didn't give me, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. See, we just need to trust Him. And and the, the idea of yieldedness, it just helps. Wouldn't you rather have revival than resentment? How about you just yield to what God is doing with you in your life? Notice the order of this. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. If everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, quench not the Spirit. So, I want you to think about this process. If you don't rejoice ever, evermore, if you're not praying without ceasing, and if you're not giving thanks because of the will of God, then you're quenching the Spirit. It's Very interesting. Yieldedness. Yieldedness. And then look at this. The next step. How, how am I going to rejoice evermore? Prayer, gratitude, yieldedness. And edification, what is that? Being built up. I am being built up and I am building up someone else. And look what the Bible says in verse 20. Despise not prophesyings. Despise not prophesyings. What is that talking about? When I, so I can't tell your future. So like for Adam, I don't know what God has for you. But I do know this. If you go against God's word, your life is going to be destroyed. Your life is going to be miserable. You're going to end up living in a van down by the river. Marsha Kendig tells me not to say that because Paul wants to live in a van down by the river. (laughs) Where's Marsha? Am I right? It's true, right? Yes. (laughs) But the idea of despise not prophesying is especially for a young man like Adam, who's been into the preaching and teaching of God's Word, he knows that God has a plan for his life. If he walks away from that, then the chastisement of God will come down on him. And the Bible says that the chastening of God is grievous. Wasn't he in Star Wars? Yes. The chastening of God is grievous. It's painful It hurts. So I can tell you, if you behave this way, you choose this way in your life, it's going to bring you pain and suffering. What am I doing? I'm not looking at a crystal ball. The Bible makes it very clear that if you walk away from God, there's going to be chastisement in your life. How about the passage we looked at last Sunday night, where a man is living in open sin in the church at Corinth, and Paul says that the church is supposed to put him outside of the church Remove him from membership. And what are you doing? You're turning his body over to Satan. You're turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the body. That a spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He can't lose his salvation, but he's going to bear in his body the results of his sin. How many of you have seen people that bear in their bodies the results of sin? You can see it. You look at this, the, 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 that sin has destroyed them physically. Anger, bitterness, resentment. It's destroyed them physically. So what would I say? Don't have bitterness and anger. Because, Shauna, if you have bitterness and you let that take root in your heart because your husband, <laughs> you let that... Here's what's going to happen. It's going to spring up and many around you are going to be defiled. Is that right? Uh, Heather, if you allow bitterness... To spring up in your heart because of something that Patrick does, it will hurt, I promise you, it will hurt Aiden and Annika. What am I doing? I'm prophesying. Despise, not prophesying. And here's an an important component to that. When the Bible uses the word despise, we think of hatred. No, when the Bible uses the word despise, it means you just ignore it. You don't, and that's Jesus. He despised the shame. He didn't, he ignored it when he was on the cross. Don't ignore, don't despise prophesying, but be built up by the instruction of the Word of God. Now, i got to tell you, when you're not living right, and the pastor points that out, the preacher, the discipler, the Sunday school teacher, when they point that out, what happens? You can ignore it, or you can receive it. But when we're not living right, and the preacher points it out, here's what they think. He's talking about me. As if I have cameras set up in all of your houses. That's the NSA. That's not me. It's really important that we get this. The Bible, when it's taught verse by verse, like we're doing in this text, it gets every one of us. God knows where we live. He knows who we are. Despise not prophesying. This is why it's so important to be under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. You're not going to get this kind of instruction at work. You're not going to get it on the ball field. You're not going to get it watching football. You're not going to get it in the in the, the deer blind. You all knew where I was going with that, right? It was the, the <laughs> perfect. It's really important that we get this. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's not the same as being under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It helps us to stay right. It's very important. Despise not prophesying. Edification. Edification. If we want God to use us in a significant way, we have to care more about truth than we do our own personal agenda. Let me say this again. If we want God to use us in a significant way, we have to care more about truth than we do our own personal agenda. It will help your joy to make much of the Word of God. Read it. Memorize it. Love it. Learn it. It will change your life. Do you realize how many people in the world don't have a copy of the Bible? Many. Many. How many of you have a copy of the Bible? Man, read it. It doesn't belong in the dash of your car. Right ready for the next church service. Bring it home. Bring it in the house and read it. Spend time. Edification. How am I going to rejoice? The Bible helps me to have the right perspective in my life. Edification. And then, the last way to have gratitude is discernment. Discernment. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at what it says. Verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Listen, it's very important. If somebody tells you that a behavior is okay, well, check it out with the Bible first. If somebody tells you that a doctrine is okay, check it out with the Bible first. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Did you know that we as Christians are supposed to judge? How many of you have heard judge not lest you be judged? All right, And in its context, that's a wonderful passage. Do you know what we're supposed to do in the church? We're supposed to judge. That's, that's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You're supposed to judge. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to compare behavior, attitudes, doctrine, the culture. We're supposed to compare that to the Word of God. My attitudes about politics don't come from talk radio. My attitudes about politics are supposed to come from the Word of God. And we have too many Christians who are taking the Word of God and trying to force the Bible into their worldview. My worldview has to come from the Scriptures, because then my worldview is not based on any political or economic system. My my worldview is based on the Bible. Amen? The gospel is the same in Afghanistan, in Nairobi, in in Argentina, in China. The, the gospel is the same. The economy is different in all of those places. The governmental system, the oppression how the gospel is allowed to be preached and received, and what happens in the culture when the gospel is brought out. It's different in every one of those, but the gospel is exactly the same. We don't change the gospel based on what's going on in the world. If we did that, there would be a whole lot of gospels. But what's the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that we must have... Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. It's the same everywhere. I can't speak any of those other languages. I struggle enough with English. I can't speak any of those other languages. But you know what? In whatever the language is, what's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. That's it. That's it. So now let me ask you this question. Are you prepared to rejoice this Christmas? I want you to remember that when you pull into the mall. How many of you men have not bought your wife a Christmas present yet? Be honest. Raise your hands. Okay, all you guys, look around. Look at this. How many of you men are very thankful for the Internet? (laughs) If you don't use the Internet, you're going to have to pull into a mall with a bunch of crazy people, and somehow in that process, you're supposed to show Christ. Dave McCracken said you're supposed to splash Jesus everywhere you go. I'd get mad at somebody driving down the road, and Lydia would say, Dad, are you splashing Jesus? I'm going to splash something, I can tell you that. What we're supposed to do is we are supposed to be rejoicing. Look back at verse 16 again. Let's say it out loud. You ready? Rejoice evermore. Let's say it again. Rejoice evermore. Are you ready to rejoice evermore? If you are saved, you can. If you're not saved, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you'd better rejoice now because this is as good as it's going to get. Because when you die, you'll be separated from God forever in a place of eternal torment when Jesus Christ would much rather you be saved. He'd much rather you be saved. And then you know what we can do? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Must be those kinds of people. If you say, Pastor, before God, I'm going to do my best this year to rejoice evermore. Would you raise your hand? Let's just, let's all stand together. I am going to rejoice evermore in what the Lord has done for me. Do you know what would be really cool? If, if, if the community knew that Grace Baptist Church is the most joyful, they are the most joyful people in our community. Wouldn't that be good? How many of you think that would be good? It's got to start with you. It's got to start with me. Amen? It's got to start with us. Rejoice evermore. Man, if you're saved, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you've got more reason to be joyful than anyone that's ever lived. Because your hope is sure. Your eternity is settled in heaven. That's who you are. If you're not saved, get saved today. If you're not sure what that means, come talk to me. Pastor Nathan, wave your hand back there. Pastor Nathan's back there. Come talk to us. We would love to take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven. But the rest of us, let's just rejoice. We're going to do that through prayer, through gratitude, through yieldedness, edification, and discernment. If we'll get that right, according to the Word of God, then we'll have that peace that God has promised in the book of Philippians. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We need you so desperately.